Welcome to Fandom Power. Welcome back to Fandom Power. I'm your host, Wes, and you're listening to part two of our roundtable discussion on Star Wars. Let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Star Wars and how it's influenced uh, the gaming community. And uh, I think a good place to start with that is to go back all the way to, uh, oh, I guess the late 70s and talk about some of the those early board games. Escape from the Death Star. Now, Escape from the Death Star is probably one of the few that I actually remember. And not because I've played it, but because it seemed like a lot of people had it. And I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it a lot of times since I've been in the toy business, right? So especially with yeah. the, the reprint that came out, what, last year with the 40th anniversary for A New Hope? Yeah, with the Tarkin figure. I guess that's not <laughs> last year. That's a couple of years ago now. Yeah, it must be. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, time is a vortex right now, so. Uh, that is true, yeah. So <laughs> definitely Escape from the Death Star. In my research, there were a lot more board games than I actually thought there were. <laughs> So I didn't actually go and like make a list of them because I thought it would be fun to see if we could actually remember some of the other ones. <laughs> There's a Sarlacc pit game from 83, I think. That's right. And so the Sarlacc, I had that. I got that as a Christmas present one year. And nice. I remember, I remember setting it up and it used the, the bottom of the box became the Sarlacc pit and had essentially it was like a big flip out book where you unfolded all the cardboard pieces and they kind of attached to the bottom of the box and then you sit, you have the skiff hmm. on top and it had a bunch of plastic miniatures and, and of course the idea was to knock, as Luke Skywalker, you were essentially trying to get from one end of the skiff to the other to essentially rescue Han Solo and, and knock these guys into the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> I don't remember any rules structure to this game, but I do remember it was just, it was super cool because it was like this three-dimensional thing. That is pretty cool, actually. Yeah, people people weren't taking risks with games back then. So to see something with that widely different kind of view, sort of interesting on its own right, I guess. Let alone the Star Wars license. Well, I think that a lot of it is right. Like back then, right and early on, as soon as the the films were a hit, I, I mean, it was a license to print money. So I mean, if you had a game or you had an idea and you could get the nod, like right, it was like, oh, sweet. We're, we're moving ahead, and I mean, lots of rebranding, probably not back then as much now, but right, Star Wars Risk, Star Wars Monopoly. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, that's still a thing nowadays. It's like every time a new, a new film comes out or a new TV series, it's just a, a reason to either make something new or more aptly reprint something and then just relabel it. Well, it's practically like Christmas now, right? It's like tradition. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like we expect a, a huge line of three point seven five figures when they have a when they have a major release, right? Yeah. Like we just want the stores to be inundated with that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely we do. I remember having countless like coloring books and, and uh, like two hundred and fifty and five hundred piece puzzles. Sure. I think they're all sure. like all made by Parker Brothers, I think, and and like a lot of other like periphery that, you know, like quiz books and trivial pursuit yeah. add ons and things like like that. So they're like their gaming license was was deep. It's you know it's funny that you say that when you talk about Parker Brothers and I think about the current sort of state of Star Wars merchandising, which we'll we'll touch on 
uh, a little bit deeper, but you know, all those gaming companies uh, invariably, when you boil it down, most of them got gobbled up by Hasbro. And so Hasbro quite literally has this, you know, monopoly on the master toy license for Star Wars. Right. So it's true. It is. It is true. And, I was talking about, uh, online the other day and somebody was trying to say that, you know, Hasbro doesn't have the monopoly on it anymore because Diamond Select is now doing a line of Disney Store exclusive seven inch figures. And I had to post a couple of links to say, well, actually, Hasbro has the master license and only because Hasbro says they can is Diamond Select producing anything. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the price points of that stuff is ridiculous for the average sort of collector. I would agree. And I mean, I, I haven't bought, I mean, aside from, you know, video games, I haven't really invested in a Star Wars game per se, probably since the gold box trivial pursuit. Oh man, there was a game not too long ago. It was like, I don't know if it's called Armada or something like that, where it's like, it was like a board game. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Or Rebellion. Rebe- it was called Rebellion, I believe. You know, it's it was funny like that one hundred and thirty nine, hundred and forty dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Axis and Allies, but Star Wars. Yeah, uh, I, n- I never did pick it up, but it, it looked amazing when I first saw it. It's funny you say that because I totally glossed over the fact that I have a huge Armada and X Wing collection, which I guess I, <laughs> I guess the truth is I have invested heavily in games over the last few years. But the truth is, I probably haven't played them in oh close to a year. But yeah, yeah, Rebellion I think was one of those first ones to come out when Fantasy Flight Games got a license to produce Star Wars games. Right. And it didn't, I don't think it sold very well because it seemed like as soon as the, you know, the excitement for Rebellion died off, there was Star Wars Legion, which was another yeah. another tabletop miniatures-based game. But this was way more, you know, resembling of Warhammer in the fact totally. that you, yeah. you've <laughs> got to assemble everything and you've got to paint it and... You know, the pre-painted models were, you know, kind of, you know, left in favor of do-it-yourself, which I think the this, this serious war gamers really kind of appreciate. No, absolutely. There's a there's an art to painting minis that's just, well, requires a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, but as a, as a, form, as a recovering uh, 40K player, yeah. nice. <laughs> investing, in, uh, investing in a new game is just a daunting task. I... Um, I lost my entire 40k collection in the process of moving yeah. uh, when I was a younger man. And when I tallied up all the stuff that I'd lost, I realized it was about $10,000 worth of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I... then I stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. I feel your pain on that because when I started with tabletop miniature games, we started with X-Wing, the first edition of X-Wing. And, and that's mm-hmm. like, we're talking less than 10 years ago when, a single piloted starfighter model was about 14 bucks. Totally. And, yeah. and now that same model is 25, right? Like in less than Ugh. 10 years that the hobby has gone up that much. So the, the, if you can get them when they're, when they're available on. Yeah. Shelves, and cause, that's cause then there's an aftermarket for that stuff. For it's sure. There insane. is insane madness. Yeah. 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 And if you're, if you're not pre-ordering it from your local game store, you may not be getting it at all because fantasy flight has proven that they are, kind of slow on their restocks. There are still ships from two and three waves ago in Armada that I am still trying to find for less than, you know, two or three times market value. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And then, as with any tabletop, um, they haven't been bad like Warhammer, but uh, what did they do? Six years and then did a version two or the update? Yeah. So, I mean, X-Wing had a complete overhaul in the rules last year, year before. Maybe two two years. 2.0 came out, and that kind of threw the community into a tizzy because it was like everybody who had had invested into 1.0 was like, what do you mean I got to rebuy all my models? Oh, wow. That that deep, eh? Yeah, it really was. But they did, you know, they did offer some incentive to do that because now X-Wings had movable S-foils and so did all the other fighters that should have movable parts. (laughs) It wasn't enough to convince me, so... I mean, I'm sure sure that's a draw for some people, but, like, whenever you make a game like that, I feel like you're sort of almost obligated to build in some backwards compatibility. Well, here's the thing, right? You've got to refresh your brand and you've got to keep it fresh for new faces and new players, right? Otherwise, it's just, it's going to stagnate and it's going to die like everything else. Yeah. But the one thing that they did get right was, I think, and I don't know if it's because of the fan backlash or if it was part of the rollout plan, but they rolled out uh, what they called upgrade packs. So for each faction, or the Rebel Alliance, the Empire, the Resistance, and the First Order, and then Scum and Villainy, they got these upgrade packs, which were essentially uh, nothing but cardboard. And they uh, <laughs> basically gave you all the 2.0 rules and all the card stock for all the, the card components that you would need to continue playing with your 1.0 models, which is what I ended up doing. Oh, that was guaranteed that would yeah. play it. Well, I mean, the value in that at the time, I think each upgrade kit was like about 50 or 55 bucks. But when you looked at the... Oh, the, weighing it against the price of the actual models must be... When you looked at the number of ships that it would convert, so I think in the Rebel Alliance kit, it allowed you to convert something like three or four X-Wings. And I'm like, well, that's great. I've got like five of them, so I can at least play three of them. And I've got the, you know, the 1.0 models to either hang on to or sell or do whatever I want with. But So it, yeah. wasn't, a, it wasn't a complete fan betrayal, but there was a, <laughs> a significant amount of backlash over that. That's for sure. Well, there always will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other uh, board game, tabletop games anybody can uh, think of? Not so much. I I was never as big into the board games. You showed me most of the board games and stuff. I remember briefly, like, there was a trading card game. Yeah. Yeah, there was. That's right. I was was deep in the Magic the Gathering camp at that point, so I never... (laughs) That would probably have been around uh, 95, 96. Uh, yeah. Because I was, a, a, well, still sort of an addict or a recurring addict to the magic. So <laughs> uh, so when I first was in it, yeah, that totally kind of split your cash for sure. And it, it wasn't a bad um, trading card game. But I think that's the problem is it just, it didn't break past the king of the hill at the time. So like uh, any, yeah. Like anything, it just kind of dried up, and the people that play it tabletop probably still have a few cards and play it tabletop, and then yeah, just it lost in-game support or in-store support. So like anything, yeah, for sure, it's yeah. tough to have a running program if you don't have the uh, the shops behind you. That was yeah. def- the days when they were definitely fishing in a lot of different pools to try to stay relevant. I think that is a good segue, Scott, when you say the, and Eric talking about uh, TCGs or, or uh, trading card games. 
mobile games. I think that's kind of where the the card games, at least where Star Wars is concerned, have kind of landed with things like Star Wars Heroes, mm-hmm. where ostensibly it's like playing a a dueling game like a Yu-Gi-Oh or a Pokemon, only you're just doing it digitally. Yeah, and it'll cost you about the same. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> that, exactly, right? Free to download, but then, uh, right? The, dun, dun, dun. The, Microtransactions. The, I, think, yeah. I think the technical term is free to start. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then why can't I get ahead? Why can't I get past level 12 unless I commit yeah, yeah, to yeah. Uh, giving you 20 more dollars? <laughs> And then you try to rationalize it. You're like, well, I've played this game for 100 hours. If I played a PlayStation game for 100 hours, I'd pay 70 bucks. And then you go <laughs> yeah, buy yeah, stupid yeah. coins, and then you're in. That's yeah. and they, you know, there's never been a mobile game that's ever been able to rope me in like that. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. I once spent $25 on a, on a full version of a, of a Mars a terraforming simulator. I spent a year on Simpsons Tap Out. Oh, my totally, Lord. <laughs> totally different topic, but oh, my God. My wife pulled me back into Pokemon Go during the when after the quarantine started. So Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good way to get outside. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how, many, you know, how many gyms are in your building, Eric? <laughs> there's one gym out back. There's two on the corner. And if I go across the street and hold it up, yeah. Just over the fence, yeah. I can get to a fourth one. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nothing like the congestion of population in Toronto. <laughs> well, people are generally staying away from people for the most part in the city, so it's not that bad. So seeing as we've uh, landed on video games, anybody got any cool memories of maybe some of their favorite Star Wars video <laughs> games? Well, I remember hating the Star, uh, the Super Star Wars games. Those are the first ones I played. Was the Super Nintendo versions, but I'm aware yeah, of yeah. older ones. That original Empire Strikes Back game for Atari, where you were uh, an Adat, or where you were a snow speeder, and it was just endless waves of Adats, <laughs> and just the game never ended. No, the you the game you just could never win. Yeah, it it didn't get any harder either. It just no. stayed the exact same difficulty. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and still, I managed to die a million times. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, outside of we briefly touched on sort of the EU and sort of the novelizations of, of the franchise. I think that, uh, you know, video games have been a really solid world building tool for Lucasfilm and, and Shadows of the Empire. Absolutely. <laughs> big, big multimedia event. You know, you had a novelization, a comic book tie in, a video game and a and it was else. good. Yeah, absolutely. It was good. You know, mm. I mean, I look at it now and go, yeah, it's dated, you know, N64. But at the Certainly. time, it was fantastic. Did, and, and go ahead, Scott. Did it run off the Doom engine? I'm, I'm trying to think. I played one. Sure. On, I played one on PC, which would have been 90s. Oh, you're thinking of uh, Dark Forces? That, yes. I think, yeah. And I think I put a ton of hours into that and enjoyed it. So there's a there's a whole fan uh, movement where various people have are taking some of these older Star Wars video games and they're reimagining them in the Unreal Engine and Dark Forces is one of them. Oh my god! Yeah, so I'm not sure what the status of that is because I know one of the one of the fans was actually redoing Rogue Squadron, the very first Rogue Squadron, and they got a C and D from Disney. So there's a lot uh, of that going around. Yeah, I'm not sure what what the criteria is to earn a C&D from them, why some do and some don't. But... Well, I think it turns out that anyone who can remake a game better than you ever made it 
Well, they're about you're bound to get a slap on the wrist at some point. <laughs> but it's it's, it's, catch it's interesting. Right. Sorry about that. Um, it's no. interesting because right, all these game engines, and it's the fact that they are they're open. Yeah, and that that's the whole idea is that the fan base can reskin. Oh, for sure, or change it up. And then as soon as you get a little too, right, you get the old, yeah, you get the slap on the. I think it's interest. Like if somebody randomly runs across it in their feed and they happen to work for the company who holds the title, yeah, then it's generally something that's got enough interest in it that it needs a and d Maybe. Like, I don't know if there are people at these companies that sit down and go, well, what are the fans making that we can shut down today? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more of like a, oh, I'm sorry, what are you doing? I wish it was that way. I wish it was like, hey, that's really good. Let's we're gonna buy you out. Yeah, here's or, a here's a contract. Oh, yeah. we'll bring you on board. You know what? You're doing great work, but it's never like that, right? It's it not was at one point. There was a few back when they were doing arcade mods and these guys got picked up right out of college or university. Yeah. And they're like told, stop doing that. Yeah. Come work for us. Was that, that on a Star Wars project? Uh no, it was on uh Oh, I can't remember which cabinet game it was, but okay. uh, that's cool. Back though. then, yeah, when arcades were still, you know, viable, everywhere. a machine that you put quarters into. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are quarters? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, so I think Star Wars video games again, like they're they're awesome for the world building, but it, they suffer from the same fate as the EU. I mean, you have all these wonderful games, like like you mentioned, Scott, Dark Forces which spawned super popular character Kyle Katarn. So that, that leads into Jedi Knight and Jedi Academy, right? And now you have these these games that, you know, they, they're no longer canon. But as we mentioned in the last, uh, the last segment, how, you know, the stuff's still out there. It exists. And, you know, just because it's no longer canon doesn't mean that it's not maybe part of your own head canon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other the other thing that some of some of the games did, like I remember specifically in um, the N sixty four version of I think it was Rogue Squadron. Sure. But right before Episode One came out, they yes. discovered that you could unlock the Naboo Starfighter. Oh yeah, the N one. I remember that too. Yeah. And that was like that was a big secret deal. A revelation. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, this 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 movie isn't even out yet, and then they were yeah. planning this far ahead. Like whoa. <laughs> Well, if we wanna <laughs> if we wanna dip into the merchandising aspect for a second, you know the uh, the story that George Lucas sold his soul to the devil for his merchandising ability. <laughs> no doubt. You know that there was a plan for that for sure. There was absolutely. My Star Wars under ruse. Agree yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I still have Star Wars curtains. You do. Yeah, like I up see, right now. Looking, I think I, I remember myself and go, there's my Star Wars curtains. <laughs> I want to say that when we were in high school, you still had bed sheets. Dude, I totally did. Yeah. I had I had those well into my twenties. I thought so. Yeah. 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 Wow. And, the, and those were like I just had a moment here, guys. Sorry. I, I just gotta interrupt here. Sure. We're we're having this conversation and I I just happen to be scrolling through my Facebook feed and what pops up but Lego Star Wars. Oh yes, the, the, yeah. hand, the hand. The with computer's the, listening. The hand they, with they the ribbon are. on it. I thought that was a beautiful piece of uh, of multimedia that came out today. Yeah, and the little Lego hand is very cute to Luke from Dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, funny. I think I think everybody had. I had those bed sheets. I think I still have the only thing I've got left. I think I have a pillowcase. 
I have a modern comforter and a yeah. bed sheet set, uh, but I don't have my original stuff. That was, uh, yeah. I had a, I had a couple different. I had a Return of the Jedi set, I had an Empire set, and I had a New Hope set, which was just Star Wars back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so one one thing my dad did right was encourage my madness. Did uh, just out of curiosity, did anybody play either of the uh, Star Wars MMOs that have been released over the years? Um, so I played uh, I played the Old Republic, yes. uh, hoping that it would be as good as Knights of the Old Republic which I hold as one of the greatest stories ever told in two yeah, RPGs. Absolutely. The MMO, it was it was okay. Like, it didn't really do anything that was super special that differentiated it from anything else. The only thing was it was it was Star Wars. Sure, sure. Um, but it, it was enjoyable, and I do know some people who still play it to this day. And, of course, the cinematics are redonkulous. Yeah, I think if they're anything like those... Uh, trailers that they used to pitch the game. I mean, mm-hmm. they were just like jaw-droppingly amazing. Oh yeah, I remember playing it early, like very early when it came out, and right, and it taking like six months to get a lightsaber. Oh wow, like, <laughs> something was, like that. It, yeah, it was mental. <laughs> it was it was really uh, daunting. So the at first, first one would have been what Galaxies. Yeah, the Galaxies first, was the original. First MMO was Galaxies. No Jedi out of the box. No, yeah, that's or true. or it was such a secret, so down low quest. I, so not only so Galaxies actually gets my vote. If I had to pick what is the best Star Wars video game of all time, I have to go with Galaxies. One because I'm a huge lover of traditional uh, tabletop role playing games, and to me, Galaxies was the you know if you were to take a tabletop RPG and turn it into a fully realized uh, video game world. They did that in spades. And I say that because, one, it was my first foray into uh, MMOs. So I don't, I didn't really have a, a, a frame of reference for it. But in my experience as a tabletop gamer, where 99% of the games I had played were class-based systems. So you, you had a, a, a defined role within society. And Star Wars Galaxies took that and turned it on its ear. And it was 100% skill-based. So if you wanted to be a farmer and you did nothing but but farm uh, moisture, that's the only skill that improved in your character. So when you're talking about this, you know, world building and the capturing sort of the mystique of, of Star Wars, it did that so well. And I think part of the big appeal was, for me anyway, as someone who likes to take the deep dive in, is that, as you say, there were no Jedis out of the box. And that in order to become a Jedi, it was hundreds, and I mean hundreds of hours of investment just to get to the quest that would allow you to become Force-sensitive. Right. Never and, mind being a Jedi. And then they do an update, and everybody's running around with a... Suddenly, you a know... laser sword. We log, <laughs> log out. I log out one day, and I, you know... That turns into a few weeks, turns into a couple of months. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I still got a subscription. I should go and log back in and see what's going on. And it's like, hey, new combat upgrade. And I'm like, okay, what's that about? And they're like, hey, after, you know, lots of fan uh, fan feedback, we've now, we've basically shoehorned our game into nine iconic classes. And so I spawn into Moss Eisley and I'm surrounded by Jedi everywhere. I'm like, you've got <laughs> Jedi as far me. as the eye can see. Yeah, so huge disappointment High after Republic. that. And I mean, 
at the time, I think it was. Oh, I think Sony was actually the the publisher of that. Correct. Yeah, and <laughs> just horrible, terrible, terrible. Like it really, my heart was broken. So well, welcome to every World of Warcraft guild after a new expansion drops. Well, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> How do I play this game? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's the bad guy? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Star Wars Galaxies is definitely the one that stands out for me. But there's lots more out there that X-wing versus Tie. Well, is is my favorite Star Wars game of all time. But yeah. I'll tell you what, Squadrons, this new thing that's it's with a VR headset, bro. Wow, it's garnering my favor. I have to say, I feel a little a little hampered because I'm playing it on the Xbox, so I don't get to share in that VR experience. But you know, through the Looking Glass, uh, yeah, it's great. I I'm loving it. It's really. Uh, gone out of its way to sort of recapture that the essence of what made X-Wing such a fun game with all of the uh, system management aspects. Oh yeah, it, it does. It really gives me that vibe. And I, I spent a lot of time playing the crap out of that other game and, I've just, and all its just, iterations, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've just started messing around with alternate loadouts beyond the standard. Still haven't quite figured out what I like the best, but uh, I'm very much enjoying it. I tell you, I, I borrowed a VR headset off a guy because I don't. I never invested in one. I was afraid to get sucked into the matrix. I was pulling a barrel roll over the hull of a star destroyer, and I lost my stomach like I was pulling G. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I had to whip. I had to whip the headset off because I thought I was going to puke. I, and are you playing it on? <laughs> you're playing it on PlayStation VR, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. I watched a review the other night, and oh, not a review, but more of like an update because there was a big patch that came out two days. Yeah. Ago. So they were talking about some of the issues with the VR that if your monitor doesn't have the proper refresh rate, there's reports of people getting sick. Oh really? Yeah. 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 Well, that's quite possible. I'm, I was just, I'm mucking around on a 720 DPI old thing. Sure. And uh, that could be the case. I know that the, the, the headset graphics are nowhere near the, uh, the screen graphics. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't keep up. It's amazing how much better I am at the game just by being able to track targets with to my turn head. your head. Because oh. I just have to look up, and my whole the whole top of my cockpit is open, yes. and I can track a tie fighter, and then move my hands instead of sort of the old traditional ways, which is moving your hands and then moving your eyes. Yeah, of course. So and I mean, it's, the, the, it's the, hella fun. The move your head mechanic on the Xbox control, and I'm sure it's the same on the PlayStation. The double click of the right stick, mm. it's virtually unusable. It is, yeah, because it locks out all your other controls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I feel like I'm. Uh, like I say, I'm hampered by not having a VR experience. And, and what a game to want to, like, Flight Sim of any kind, really, is the bread yeah. and butter of, of VR as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And I got to get your information because there's cross-play. Yes, there absolutely is. So we'll definitely yeah. connect on that one. Wicked. I just want to talk about Battlefront for a second. And uh, did everybody play the original Battlefront on the PlayStation 2? Yes. Yes. No. No. Okay, nope, so... I'm still stuck on Disney Infinity. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so they sell them at Dollarama. Yes, they do. Yeah, I, today I just finished off the Star Wars portion of 3.0. Oh, nice. Yeah. The uh, the Battlefront games that came out for the PlayStation 2, uh, Battlefront 1 and 2, arguably some of the best Star Wars games for console. And then EA got a license for Star Wars, and they said, hey, remember that Battlefront thing? Let's try that again. And they put it out. And it was a bit of a disaster. I don't know. If... You know what was really popular and made a lot of money? Let's just redo that. Yeah. But worse. Well, 
and this is it, right? I mean, it tried to, like, don't get me wrong. The game looked beautiful. Visually, it was fantastic, but the mechanics were clunky. And let's be realistic. That whole loot box concept was just, <laughs> it was really pissing people off. It's the way of the future, unfortunately. Take yeah. something that works and slap they, Star Wars been, on it and, and they, out the door. And EA had been doing it for so long in their sports games with with virtually no backlash. And they just yeah. figured it was going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And then it didn't. It got some sort of ridiculous press too. Like, like, like they were going to, they said it was gambling and all that. Like, like at what, at what, at what point does a game, Yeah. like, like you can even get a gambling PlayStation game, right? right? So yeah, like, yeah. like poker stars, know, that sort of stuff when they're like just attacking things unwarranted. And like, it's funny that you say that too, because I remember that coming up in some of the, the EU countries that it was, a, it was in violation of their gambling it was, laws. It was like banned in New Zealand or yeah, something like something that. Something crazy. So I did, I did play it. Uh, and like every FPS multiplayer game that I've ever played, I get my ass handed to me by a 10 year old within the first 30 seconds. And so, it becomes not fun for me. And they let you know. <laughs> yeah, they do. Like Man, in, you sound old. I totally owned you. <laughs> like in Halo you, when they started you, dude, you're so me. bad at this game, I totally boned your mom. That's how bad you are. <laughs> but there was no chat for that, right? So the kids were emojiing like cross thrusts at Yeah, basically. yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into something that I know is near to uh, to my heart, and I'm pretty sure Eric and Hank, you guys all have connections to this. And... Uh, Star Wars has been the subject of a number of uh, classic tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. D6. D6 was definitely my first introduction to it, and I still West End Games. Yeah, I feel like it's the most cinematic of the games, although I'm told that the Fantasy Flight game is also very cinematic because it uses proprietary symbol dice and not traditional... Yeah, it flows really well. It takes a bit to get used to, but it flows really, really well. So yeah, D6 Star Wars, uh, West End Games. Unfortunately, the company uh, went bankrupt, and I don't remember what year it was, but the game that essentially popularized the D6 system kind of got adapted to a, a, a bunch of their other games like Torg, and, and there was a couple other ones. Shatterpoint was another one. Shatterpoint, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very cinematic, very uh, flowy. And as you were saying, Hank, that uh, the Final Fantasy, uh, the Final Fantasy, sorry, the Fantasy Flight version with the proprietary dice also has a cinematic quality about it. Definitely. It flows really nice, actually. It it does take a little get used to. It's not traditional dice, and they do mean a bunch of different things. Sure. But um, yeah, no, it, it does flow really well. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca organizers of the annual Toronto Collector's Platoon Toy Show. Check out collectorsplatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. I, I did play a lot of the D20 Star Wars 2. Can I just say about the West End games? Yeah, yeah, of course. Beyond the uh, the game itself, the, like the source books and then all of the other periphery books yes. like the soft cover stuff yeah which was like it was building canon like Absolutely they allowed them was. to go ape shit if well, you will and I, they were building canon they like really they, were i'd like to add to that because 
You're absolutely right. And if we go back to going back to the EU for a second, but when Timothy Zahn, who essentially is credited with launching the EU, the modern EU, with his first Thrawn trilogy. Totally. Remember that the role-playing books were required reading for him. They handed yeah. him the, the West End Games uh, Star Wars role-playing book and the Star Wars source book and said, here, read this. Yeah, the this source is book is give indispensable. You, it if, absolutely if is. None of you guys have read the source book. It's like they have a like a 30th anniversary reissue. It's it's so packed with amazing details. Yeah. Uh, just, just a stunning book, actually. Is it a straight-up reprint, or did they put anything new in it? I don't think it's... No, it's pretty much a straight-up reprint with, like, uh, new dates and a few... Sure, there's, sure. like, a new intro. Yeah? Yeah. It's, I mean... Yeah, it was, it's nostalgia, right? But at the same time, like, if you're anything like me, and I gotta tell you, I've spent more on role-playing materials than I've used in actual play, but, That's true. but I have read a lot. You know, I may not have played with it, but I've definitely read it, and if I haven't read it, I've thumbed through it enough to know what I want to pull from it when I do go to play it. Certainly. Yeah. There so must I, have been 50 source books to that system. I think so, and it, recently, because I was trying to, to build a D6 campaign for the guys here, and uh, wanting to get back into Star Wars and not wanting to play something that was like really clunky. And I, I thought, oh, I'll go back to D6. And I was able to find a bunch of it open source. Absolutely. I yeah. did that like maybe a year ago, actually. You're yeah. Right. Found it all open source and, uh, you know, kind of had a look at what was out there. And I, there was, I've forgotten more than I remembered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was almost like D&D style modules. From back yeah, in the very day. much, very much. Smuggler's Run and all these just cool, and the, the artwork was always really engaging as well. I loved a lot of the artwork. Some of the uh, those old modules used concept art from uh, Ralph McQuarrie. That's right. Yeah, so I mean, they really, you know, looking at the one, I think it had the, uh, it was an interior of the Moss Eisley Cantina, and it had Luke Skywalker and uh, the alien that would go on to become Chewbacca on the cover. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Because it's definitely the cantina. Who's now Zeb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that whole, and just uh, totally off topic, but uh, Ralph McQuarrie, that Rebels using that whole style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really, Uh, really leaned into his style. There's like a nod to the deep fans and almost, it just, it it works so well. Sorry. No, no, totally. you (laughs) You don't need to say sorry, man. We're here to gush on this stuff. So then you have this uh, period of, oh, I don't know how long, that's 10 years or more, that uh, Wizards of the Coast, a subsidiary of Hasbro, had a license to produce Star Wars games, and they ended up rolling it out under their D20 system. So, you know, if you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan, you'd be more than familiar with the D20. If you played the third edition of Dungeons & Dragons, then you'd be intimately familiar with the mechanics. Very, very reminiscent, if, if not completely stolen from Palladium's D20 system. I have to agree with you. They they took sort of the best things about the Palladium system and then just kind of folded it into, you know, what they were doing and added feats. Yeah, 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 feats. Feats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fairness, the whole D20 system has been open source for right the longest one. time from day one. Too. That it's kind of accepted now that people are going to steal from other other things like hell even Fifth edition D and D stole some of its best stuff from fourth edition D and D. Now it's an upgrade, but yeah. like it's very clear when you look at the broad spectrum that people are just taking whatever works and slapping their own coat of paint on it. Certainly. So I mean, standing uh, on the shoulders. 
yeah. arguably fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons is the the poorest received edition in history. It is the redheaded stepchild. Let's, oh, let's be it a, is. We could do a whole show about how much I hate that game. So later, uh, bud, later. <laughs> but there is a Star Wars connection, right? So mm-hmm. before fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons launched. Wizards, with their very last kick at the Star Wars cat, put out what they called Star Wars Saga Edition. Yeah, and it was sort of the test bed for Fourth Edition Star rules. Wars Playtest Edition. Kind of, <laughs> but I have to say, of all of the Wizards produced editions of Star Wars, Saga is my favorite. Yeah, you know, call me. It's a know, beautiful book. The original book that actual physical book to hold in your hands is is like a tome well the smaller format they used the i can't tell you the dimensions but it was like almost half this like half the height but still the full width right yeah 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 the revised i think the the second version the star wars revised d20 that was the the big it was okay okay yeah it was pretty close to the size of the original pathfinder player's handbook Huge. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, a, yeah. A monster. I see what you're saying now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, role playing games. I nearly failed high school because of role playing games, quite honestly. So, I, I loved them all. <laughs> I, I owned them all, and some of them I owned, like specifically the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, owned it and hardly ever played it, and just sort of owned it to own it. You know what? That's me even today, just owning yeah. it for the sake of owning it, not because I want to covet it, but because I just I love it. No, absolutely. Well, I think we've really uh, kind of dove hard. Oh, if I could cut back just for a second. Yeah, on, of course. Uh, the whole premise of, you know, slapping paint over something that's already there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the 90s, the fighting games that were super popular, your Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then PlayStation had Masters of Terracossi. Yes, they did. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> and it wasn't the greatest, but you still got to be Luke. Yeah. There was, so I was reading an article about that game recently where they were talking about the unlockable characters from that game. Do you remember who they were? Vader. Yes. Now you got me. Fan favorite, female. Oh, Mara. Mrs. Mrs. Luke Skywalker, Mara Jade. That's right. Yeah, and I think there was another, there was a third unlockable. Uh, Princess Leia in the slave Leia garb. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite. Stormtrooper and Jodo Cast. Oh, yeah, Jodo Cast. Jodo Cast. The Boba Fett ripoff. So Jodo... From the Marvel comics. Jodo Cast, yeah. And then also made... uh, He is entombed in one of the D6 uh, modules. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also a Stormtrooper (laughs) that you could get. Why? He probably couldn't hit anything. I mean, that was the joke. You got you got to have your you got to have your oh, I'm so much better than you at this game character. I can beat you with a stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like playing Axis and Allies and saying I can beat you with Russia. <laughs> Jeez. I've done it. All right. Because of this- <laughs> So, one of the things that is uh, exceptionally prolific about Star Wars that I think we can all agree on is the music. Oh yeah, and you you almost like as soon as you say Star Wars music, you can almost hear, you know, John Williams score in your head, right? You you see the twentieth century Fox, the fanfare, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away, and then the, the crawl opens, yeah, and it's like a punch in the face, right? It is. Yeah. 
you know, I don't hear the crawl anymore when you say when you say Star Wars music. The first thing that comes to mind is Duel of the Fates. Really? That's that's so weird to realize just now, but I it's not the crawl. Well, it's interesting that you say that because outside of the the main title fanfare mm-hmm. or the main score arguably duel of the fates probably is most well maybe not the most recognizable but it's definitely top five yeah i, I think it's just got a lot more impact than most of the rest of the soundtrack does yeah, just because yeah, yeah. it's a very it's a very tense moment on screen and it's a very distinct song i think it's just got a harder impact now sure. granted the crawl is iconic yeah, of course. And and the over the overarching Star Wars theme is yeah. again, the word is iconic. Well this But is, I don't know. Yeah. This is the thing, right? You can't associate Star Wars without John Williams' music. And even in the projects where he's not directly involved, if they're not using parts of his compositions, they're emulating his style in a lot of the work. Oh, absolutely. He set the bar. Uh, absolutely. And they're definitely they're definitely quoting him, you know, like if musically when you quote somebody, you're sort of almost ripping them off. But yeah, uh, the, and they certainly do uh, to great advantage in parts of the Mandalorian where they just have like a few notes in a row yeah, that yeah, we're yeah. all familiar with, but in, sort of embedded in things. like Yes. Layered you know? in there with a with a little subtlety. I think that go, going back to what Eric was saying about the Duel of the Fates and that to tie those two points together, like the reuse of Duel of the Fates in Revenge of the Sith when Obi-Wan and Anakin are battling on Mustafar is just, it's it's so, it's beautiful. Like, in a real horrible way, but it's still, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's yeah. very circular. It is, because, I mean, you you in that piece, and I don't know the title of that piece, but you've you've got the, the lightsaber duel itself contrasted with Duel of the Fates, you know, the fate of the galaxy, and then you've also got the uh, the love theme uh, Amidala and Anakin's love theme woven in there all together and it's just this driving piece of music that just punctuates the scene which as we all know is the longest on-screen sword fight in cinematic history mm-hmm. yeah nice. it's over Anakin I have the high ground, ground. <laughs> I read a fan theory about the high ground today oh gee we... basically it goes back to the original duel of the fates in Phantom Menace where the reason the high ground works is because Obi-Wan had to jump over Maul and oh, after right. doing that realized what a chance he took yeah. and how many alternate ways that could have ended. ended. And then oh, that makes so with much Anakin sense. then being in the same position he was. He was already prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a contrast. Jeez. It's the lines you draw, right? Neither maneuver killed either guy. Ultimately, that is no, true. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, somebody said it was uh, more to do with Obi Wan's uh, defensive. Right? There's if you get into it and you dig into it, and they talk about all the different uh, lightsaber stances. The and, lightsaber forms. Yeah, and that, love it. And he was that, form three. Yeah, which was a defensive. Whereas Anakin was more form five. Exactly. So right, he was screwed from the start, and right, he just yeah, didn't yeah. have the foresight to be. Oh, that's Obi Wan. You know, I can't beat him in this situation. But right, that's right, right. that was the drive. That was the the sadness yeah. of that. That yeah. there was a guy that just couldn't stop. The one thing I really did like about 
the the rise of Skywalker is when Kylo Ren is redeemed. He switches lightsaber styles. Yes, from yeah, he form does. five to form three. Yeah, and very yeah, much. it's 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 just a nice little touch. You just gave me goosebumps <laughs> on that whole deep dive on the lightsaber forms. I know we're in we're into music, but you can't you can't talk about lightsaber forms and and not sort of go back to that as you were saying, Scott, about his particular style. And I remember in uh, in the role-playing books they laid out sort of the the basis for each one and one of them one of them is actually invented by mace windu and it's kind of it draws on the dark side which is why it makes mace a very dangerous character because he's always on the edge but specifically where obi-wan is concerned is that obi-wan's style is actually the the first style that every padawan learner has ever shown and so Obi-Wan, unlike most masters, did not specialize in an alternate form. He just took the the initiate form and took it to the nth level as a Jedi master, which made him, in Yoda's mind, the best to go after Anakin, to fight him, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think Duel of Fates, too, going back to that a little bit, wasn't that one of the first uses of, like, uh, vocalization? Like, uh, like the, I don't think the original trilogy had any vocalization in any of the score. Not until the special editions. Well, yeah, that's right. yeah. No, that's I think true. you're probably right. Well, there was still the uh, Size Noodles uh, song at the cantina. No, no, cert- certainly, but in the in the, the sort of the cinematic score. No, you're right, right? Like, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And there's that, like, that, that, uh, that female... Yeah, and of I mean the duel of the fates. You know, I, like... I don't even know what it is that they're saying. No, uh, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's more yes, of like it's a Gregorian Orabesh. chant type yeah, thing. Yeah, like, very much. It's not. It's not really meant to have any wording. It's just impact. There's a really funny video out there, and I think it's from the same guys who do bad lip reading, where it's like they put the words at the bottom of the screen, and it's like cola, yeah, Ricola. Like it's completely hilarious, but as yeah, as you're reading these words and you're thinking, oh my god, they really are saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those you'll never you'll never unhear it. A cool piece of John Williams tri- trilogy or uh, trivia, sorry, yeah. my goodness, trilogy. Uh, in ET, he yes. embedded in the soundtrack a few bars of Yoda's theme for the Halloween scene, scene where ET meets yeah uh, the the kid dressed up as Yoda in yeah, the street yeah. on Halloween. There's oh. a few bars. Yoda's theme in there. Oh, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that again. Well, well the ET race is part of the Galactic Senate. True. Yes, yeah. Right. Yes. ET believe uh, exists in the Star Wars universe. You're listening to Fandom Power. So, talking about uh, Star Wars music that uh, did not have lyrics. It brings me to an interesting point, and uh, I, this is absolutely hilarious. But does anybody remember uh, when Bill Murray went on Saturday Night Live and sang? Oh Star my Wars? God! Yes. So you know that that's a real song. Uh, I did not know that that was a real. Th- yeah. I thought he might have been ad libbing or or whatever. But it's Star Wars. Yeah, Star those Wars. near and far wars. Yeah. Da-da-da-da. So he's essentially riffed on the words, but there's um, it's a riff on the. Uh, you're disc- telling me there's an actual vocal version of that song? Well, there's Bill, there's Bill Murray, and I mean, arguably that's sort of a, a pop culture influence. But for him to to be singing the uh, the main title theme is kind of it's funny as all get out. But um, oh, it's it's fantastic. Back in 
Oh, let me look at my notes here. So back in 1977, there was a record release that was called Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk. Mm-hmm. And on that record oh, was the heavily, heavily uh, disco version of the main title theme. With the R2-D2 sample? Like yes. The, and they had lasers and everything. Yes. Dude, my dad had this album called Disco Fever, and that... That was track on it. from that album was on Disco Fever, and I think I wore that album. Out. So if you listen to the whole thing, it it went through the main title theme, and it went right through the Cantina, uh, the Cantina song as well. Oh my god, the Cantina song! Has there ever been a worse earworm in a sci-fi movie than the Cantina song? What are you talking about? I'm hearing it right now. I, yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where they show you a picture of the Cantina band and it says, you know, bet you can hear this picture. <laughs> yes, I hear the picture. I hear the picture every day, all day now. So the record, it's thank true. you. <laughs> it's true. The record was made by a guy by the name of uh, Dominique Monardo, who went by the name of uh, Miko. And what's <laughs> what I find hilarious and yet weirdly not surprising is that that song actually spent two weeks at the number one position on the billboard hot 100 oh my god <laughs> that's amazing power play fans. that same song okay <laughs> same song so yeah here's a cool point for you uh gonna go back to uh the 80s for a minute and talk about the uh the droids cartoon again didn't have a clue about this until i was doing the research for this episode but uh did you guys know that Stuart copeland wrote from the police i and, did know that and performed <laughs> the droids theme i did, I did know. know that yeah. yeah that's a weird one that i did know it's yeah and it's definitely there wasn't the ewoks theme written by some like uh famous jazz guy or something like that yeah or blues singer. i i looked it up and i i couldn't there wasn't a single piece of his music that i could identify with so i'm like <laughs> uh i don't know anything about this guy but you you know you say Stuart copeland i'm like well yeah he he kind of he was moving into doing uh, film production or film scoring when the police were breaking up. So, you know, no surprise that that was an early project of his. That's fantastic. So here's here's one for you, Hank. Remember way back uh, when I still lived in Dartmouth? Yeah. And we went to see the 2009 Star Trek. That's right. We went to see that movie. We both loved it. We both raved about it. Do you remember who yep. did the score on that? I I. Jesus, I don't, man. So that's a guy by the name of Michael Giacchino. Okay. So if it sounds familiar to you, he also did Thor Ragnarok. Right, okay. Oh, sorry, not okay. Thor Ragnarok. That's not true. He did Doctor Strange, I should say that. I should, Doctor Strange. Yes. All right, okay. I couldn't figure out why I'm watching Doctor Strange, and it sounds an awful lot like Star Trek. But it uh, it's Michael Giacchino. And so Michael Giacchino scored not just a Star Trek movie, but he also scored Rogue One. Was that One. Solo? Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. See, and that was one of the, like, at first I was, like, searching for the music to, to hit me in the feelings. And it, it didn't matter after about 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, that, it worked so well. And uh, yeah. I sort of thought, okay, it, it is possible to uncouple Star Wars from John Williams. Yeah, Because they're yeah, so yeah. intrinsic, right? And still have it work. I agree um, with you. Yeah, and, and and for a long time I thought, oh, if this guy dies, they're just gonna have to, you know, like Recycle. chop it up in fruity loops or something yeah. <laughs> for us, right? But no, it, so it it gave me a little catharsis, like to let to let that feeling uncouple and go, no, this can move forward with with brand new stuff for sure. It can 
which is why I really love what they're doing with the Mandalorian. Well, here's the thing. Like you talk about uncoupling the music of Star Wars from the visuals of Star Wars. And uh, now I'm going to I'm going to butcher this man's name and I don't mean to. But tell me that Ludwig Goranison or Goranson. Tell me that he's not doing that in spades. Oh, man. Uh, he's doing fantastic things on that soundtrack like that. Going back to that uh, that Disney show, the gallery show where they do the behind the scenes on the making of, and they get to the music episode and uh, he kind of takes you through sort of the, the building of the theme and all of the wind instruments that he's and multi-instrumentalist too, right? Like he's playing everything and uh, as he's writing this music and it's just so when you say like the Mandalorian is, is really like a Western this, <laughs> the music is just like, yeah, like it's definitely a Western. And they, they actually, there's some, uh, a track or two from a, a Mongolian uh, like metal band called The Who that gets really? used. Yeah, like they, they have a they have a few cool tracks uh, on a, a, at least one of the episodes. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, they love that nod, right? I mean, I think it's cool too. As much as the classic score and the classic, you know, full orchestra, but the the ability to include other genres current uh musician and right it's, it's it's a nod and you know i guarantee you those guys in the mongolian band are star wars fans and oh, they, hell yeah Absolutely. and they died for the chance but you know what it gets out there and then like anything the this the fans get a hold of it and then all of a sudden you know they've got ten thousand likes and they've yeah. got right and it's career changing right to be involved in this franchise I don't think anyone's ever misstepped by saying I want to be involved in a film or television venture. No, I, w- with... I would agree with you. Like it's true. From there a... are famous missteps of, of there... stories of guys going, "Ah, I should have been in Star Wars." Oh, for sure, for be. sure. That's an episode in itself. Talking yeah. about the casting calls and who they wanted. Looking at you, Kurt Russell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to talk about casting calls? I think we need to do a speculative episode because. Remember last time we said that Star Wars is definitely going to be remade in our lifetimes? That's true. So that's there's an episode for you. Casting call. Oh, who, who's, who, who's, in, who's in your reboot of Star Wars? See, I'm too old for this because I don't, I don't identify <laughs> I don't with enough kids, young man. actors. This is it. I, I'm with Hank. I just don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, sure, you could, you know, if Daisy Ridley wants to come back and play Princess Leia, I'm okay with that. I would buy it. If Billy, Have you seen the, if the, Billy the, Lord the, wants to play her mom, sure. The memes of Sebastian Stan all, like, body morphed with, with uh, his face morphed on uh, – Mark Hamill, and it looks, it's like... Yes, I have seen that, yeah. Sebastian yeah, yeah. Stan could play, a, 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 a you know, a, a 35-year-old Luke Skywalker, no problem. Sure, maybe he could play an heir or an offspring. Yeah. A little Cade Skywalker. There well, you but you know, it, it can't just be a reboot. It's got to be, a, like, a gritty... Oh, yeah, it would be dark. Reboot. Yeah, it would be super dark. Cyberpunk Star Wars. Star Wars, directed by Ridley Scott. Okay. Or, or Tim Burton. Or Tim Burton. Oh my God! Singing pumpkins. Singing no, Darth I don't want pumpkins. my Star Wars in stop motion. Thank you. This is Dagobah. This is Dagobah. I've already, do, yeah, do, do. I've already had enough robot chicken. Thank you. Now we got to work with Danny Elfman. <laughs> Danny Elfman. Oh my right. Lord. Jesus. Yes. I always thought, and forgive me to all the listeners, but I always he always felt like uh, John Williams is sort of retarded little brother. Well, in a sense, you're not wrong. 
How about disadvantaged? <laughs> That's probably better. I'm 50. You guys can. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. We Fair get where you're, we get the thrust of your statement. So enough. there's. I was thinking like I I did a little research too. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I was I I just kind of Googled Star Wars references in music. Sure. And there oh are there are hundreds. But the thing I did know, and I know, like, I'm a big rap music fan, so I yeah. knew about the band Jedi Mind Tricks. I don't know if you guys know uh, about that. That's a new one for me. But I was amazed at the number of bands that are, like, directly, like, there's death metal bands named Hoth. Uh, there's a band named uh, Army of Kashyyyk. Oh, that's There's a, that's a, a hardcore cool. metal band called Anchorhead. There's uh, Obra Sky. There's, a, there's nice. like, Deep Cuts, right? There's a death metal band called Vader. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody remembers. I hope everybody remembers uh, Weird Al's cover of Lola. Yoda. Yoda. The, oh, of course. Like, with Yoda, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. just like I had that I word for word when I was a kid. Where it babbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. Oh, you just nailed it, man. <laughs> I love that song. Isn't man, that... Weird, Al, Weird Al can do no wrong. But isn't that a measure of success? I mean, I've heard multiple artists uh, of our time say that you know you've made it when weird al is doing your music and he did oh, too. absolutely <laughs> he did That's do too. too so yeah. the other one uh, uh what's it called andy uh, uh well, the, um, the, the, saga, saga the saga begins yeah. uh, oh it was uh, american the, pie, the american yeah, pie. Yeah. so it. my my this here anakin guy right maybe vader someday later but now he's just a small fry so awesome. it may it may come as a surprise to you, but I American Pie is one of those songs. If I hear it once a year, it's too much. That's but fair. When the saga begins comes on, I'm down for it. Let's hear it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest, Weird Al had an awesome Obi Wan braid in that video. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, well, he, his, little, his little true. Padawan, uh, his little Padawan learner braid. <laughs> Side speaking note, of you... uh, speaking of fan creations and whatnot, sure. I, I got I got to mention there have been a number of Star Wars themed epic rap battles of history. Epic rap battles of history. It's true, yes, yes sir. The, the series started with the classic Vader versus Hitler, and oh, wow, if, yeah. if you've never listened to the trilogy of those those three rap battles, they're sure, sure. they're great. They are epic. That's a good time, that guy. All of his stuff is hilarious, actually. Oh man! Well, that's that's a good segue, Eric. And why don't we just kind of shift uh, shift a little for a minute here, and let's talk about sort of the influence of Star Wars on other pop culture. When you say you know epic rap battles and how you say Vader was rapping against who? Hitler. 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 Okay, so <laughs> in some other kind of fan uh, produced stuff, you you can't talk about fan produced materials without talking about troops. Oh, troops was troops. amazing. Hardware Wars. Arguably. Oh, and the and the nod to Hardware Wars in the Last Jedi. Yeah, so I mean, arguably the first fan film ever, Hardware Wars. But uh, are you guys familiar with uh, Bat in the Sun Productions? Yes. So Bat in the Sun does a does a uh, web series called uh, Superpower Beatdown, and yes. they are like super super well produced. Uh, Vader versus Batman. Vader versus Batman. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, uh, Darth Maul versus Spider-Man. Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's tough. So, I mean, Star Wars has definitely left its mark on pop culture, you know, as a as a whole. And I mean, it's it's interesting to see where it pops up. Man, I could not call that fight without research. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sitting. I'm sitting here racking my brains about it. Which one? Uh, the second one, of course. Ba- one, yeah. Of course, Batman loses to Vader. That's not. Oh, you'd be surprised. The best uh, part. two versions of it. Yeah, there's that's the best ver- part about those. What's, what's the it. second version is him with prep time, right? Well, the thing is, for every Bat in the Sun production, it's fan vote. So mm-hmm. what they'll do is they'll they'll take a fan vote on their website, and then whatever the fan choice is, that's the winner. But they'll always cut an alternate ending to see how it would go the other way. And okay. uh, you can have the beat down of your choice. You just gotta you just gotta <laughs> look for it. That's right. So we already They're so well done. Yeah, they are. They're very well done. We already talked a little bit about Robot Chicken, and I think Robot Chicken really, I mean, that whole show is a is a love letter to not just Star Wars, but to all pop culture. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But to the whole action figure era. Really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Family Guy. Family Guy's the series was, again, very well produced. Not just the regular season episodes, but I mean, the three the movies. Yeah, the three movies. Um Blue Moon, Blue, Blue, Harvest. Harvest. Blue Harvest, something, 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 Dark Side, and <laughs> it's a trap. Something, something, something complete. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty ubiquitous. Like once you generate a more than a certain number of memes per movie, like your property becomes verifiably just part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, no, absolutely, it is. So one of the biggest influences I think Star Wars has had on pop culture, and, and this kind of maybe ties into the merchandising a little bit, is uh, the prevalence uh, or popularizing the three and three quarter inch action figure. And I know that they weren't the first. I mean, Fisher Price was running their Adventure People line, and it's a three and three quarter inch line. And in fact, some of the prototype Kenner figures were sculpted off of those uh, Fisher Price figures. But you can't tell me that Kenner did not set the bar for the remainder of the 70s and all of the 1980s and arguably into the 1990s on action figure scale and what action figures should be. It literally gave me the gateway to be able to like create uh, stories. Like I'm not sure that I would have been as creative as I am if I didn't have, you know, that sort of outlet, but it literally let me make star Wars movies. Of course. Uh, and, it did, yeah. and, and and speculate on what would happen in the next one possibly and then when empire came out and there was even more figures and then there was and you knew jedi was coming at one point because of the cliffhanger so it let yeah. you you know and uh like i think i said it before is one of the ways i connected with my father a lot it was that he was uh he was always good at sort of feeding my addictions like that yeah and so i probably had 98 figures i had probably most of the ships i i know i had most of the playsets i was quite spoiled in terms of, of my uh, my collections. I, Wes can attest to my yeah, giant absolutely. comic collection when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it it really changed the way that I, like, you know, it, it became something like, I sort of, like, I coveted something, you know, I defended it. Like, like it was like, friends would come over and they'd be yeah. like, like play with, look at all your Star Wars figures, you want to play with them? I'm like, well, they're not really toys, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like, they are. You were ahead of the yeah. curve. Just don't look, <laughs> just don't breathe on them. You yeah. Know? Like, Put your gloves on. See, I went. And, the, uh, I went the other I, way. Like my mine, and I had a. I don't think I had the same size collection that you did, Hank. In terms of Star Wars, I mean, I had a very large toy collection as a kid, but it was kind of yeah. an eclectic mix of all, all the things that I was into. But I mean, my stuff got played with quite heavily and damaged. And I can remember, I can remember living in Alberta in Calgary, and the the year that I got Hoth Han Solo for Christmas. 
I can remember taking him outside to play in the snow in, in the Calgary winter. And uh, remember the, the Fisher Price, the Adventure People, the, the rainbow parachute, the silk parachute? I think I do, yeah. Yeah, so I had, yeah. The, I had the parachute from one of the, uh, the Adventure People sets and the harness fit the Star Wars figure. So I'm like, this is great. I'm going to use Han, Han Solo's just ejected from the Millennium Falcon. And uh, a few tosses and the figure had become so cold and so brittle that on one recovery, when I picked him up out of the snowbank, his head popped off. And that I had that up. problem. And I'm, I'm not sure if it was a line problem, but my, my original Han Solo and Hoth gears head snapped off and I, for forever until I got a new one. It, it was, I it was just glued on. So he was sort of static. Not that they had much articulation anyway, no. but it didn't matter back then, eh? Like, I, maybe it was our our youth or the fact that there wasn't anything like GI Joe hadn't hit yet, so we kind of didn't have that articulation in, in that no. scale. But it didn't matter one lick. Like, no. you know, a character would have his arms over his head, and that was he was surprised. Sure, <laughs> sure. You know? Is he and, uh, is he surrendering or is he surprised? <laughs> I don't know. It could be both. <laughs> and sort of the way that Kenner managed to 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 hit all of the the figures that you know, like. They would just come and come and come, and you, you didn't even know you needed like a, a prune face, but <laughs> like you know I what know, I mean. Like, yeah. And it, it was just so much, and they were a dollar ninety nine in the seventies. Yeah, 70s. of course like, they, yeah. like, You know, a kid with a paper route could afford to collect that shit. You really have to sort of tip your hat at Kenner for some of that early world building because. You know, anybody who's watched any of the recent uh, toy documentaries, like the toys that made us, knows that. You know, it was one of the biggest blunders that Mattel had ever made by turning down that license. And so Kenner Kenner snatched it up. And with that came access to all of the concept art. And so a lot of those action figures, that's how they were produced, which is why we have the the blue, the blue snaggletooth, right? It was a blue snaggletooth. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the best examples of an error when they sent that artwork over that they had no idea what the scale was and they just, they didn't, they only had him from the waist up. So they did, they did that version of him where he's this, the regular height of a full size figure and he's wearing boots. And then the reason for the yellow lightsabers and all the uh, early product plates. Exactly. And then come to find out that he's actually, no, he's wearing a red suit. He's the size of an Ewok and he's. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But you know, that's, that's the thing too. Like, I guess we should go just dive right into the merchandising aspect of this really, because let's face it like as as toy collectors we we live for this stuff i think on some level and i think that has really kind of driven the you know kept the the fire burning for star wars and i would argue that it's guys our age too like it's yes kids like star wars and yes they still play with star wars toys but i mean look at what's on the shelves right now like you can't tell me that that's not intended for adult collectors no, certainly. If you guys have ever seen the SNL sketch about Star Wars collecting, it's like a commercial for the Force Awakens oh, figures, wow. and it's uh, it, it, definitely look it up after the show. Sure. Um, it's basically these kids are like, look, there's Kylo Ren and 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 Finn, and and the, uh, the adults are like, that's that's not how you fly the Millennium Falcon, and they grab the toy <laughs> off the kid, and they're like, it, it's like this, and yeah, and then the adult will like, he'll he'll jump in and be like, there's I've got three of them. And the kid's like, why? It's like, one to collect, one to open, and one just in case. And the kid's like, in <laughs> case what? <laughs> and it's so, it's so funny. That shit They're broke. awesome to yeah. look at. <laughs> I think I'm going to be the dissenting voice here because sure. like, I'm, I, I'm all for world building and stuff. But yeah. 
my sort of opinion is when it comes to the point where you pick a figure up off the wall and go, oh, that character had a name? Yeah. That's kind of where I draw my line. Like I think that's... again, I can I can appreciate that yeah. you're that you're building a world and you and you're and you're you know sprinkling your magic on other things. Yeah, yeah. But at some point, you got to go like, do I really need to know the digits of the garbage can? Yeah, uh, yeah. I hear you. I hear that's you. the one. Yeah. <laughs> see, do do I really need to know those digits? No, I C three PO is R two D two. Yeah. And now apparently it's BB-8. So, I mean, one of the biggest criticisms against the whole franchise is that Star Wars exists to sell toys. And, and that ties directly into, at some point, every character, no matter how small they are, no matter how insignificant, is going to get an action figure that's going to have a name. It's not going to be like, you know, when Henry was saying he got the Death Star droid. It's not the Death Star droid. That droid has an actual name. Not that I can tell you what it is. but Now, do you think that's now versus like original it start i would argue that it started in the heyday of star wars toys like they i, I feel like right the, the adat driver was still the adat driver and yep. the but i mean well when did you ever learn wicket's name uh the ewok cartoon i would i would absolutely agree with the ewok, ewok cartoon, cartoon. Yeah. if not if not that in the marketing materials leading up to that movie and maybe I know I knew it by the time that the TV movies came out. For sure, I did. Yeah, certainly. Well, it was on the it was on the cover it's of the on, action figure. It's I on know the that's card. Your point. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, for yeah. sure it is. I want to thank you all once again for making me feel very young. <laughs> hey, man, you can walk into any store today, pick up a Star Wars action figure, and I mean, it's it's named, you know. And th- this is what I was getting at. Like Star Wars really has existed to sell toys on some level, and and, you know, that, that toy money, you know, has afforded us to keep going back to visit that galaxy far, far away that we all love. So, you know, for me, it's a, it's a huge part of my life. It's, I've made a business out of it and it occupies, you know, probably a full third of my, my toy collection really is dedicated. To Star Wars. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to step on anyone. I'm oh, just no, saying, you know, like I, I grew up kind of, kind of hard off. So we sure. had to be a little more choosy about our entertainment and yeah yeah my family and i chose video games and that's where we went so yeah yeah but i mean the video games they did a lot of the same thing and and really even of now, course yeah. especially now where going back to that whole lucasfilm story group where there's this you know concerted effort to ensure continuity across all these multimedia platforms so you're getting like you're getting, you know, name drops from the Chuck Wendig novels and, you know, the whole Project Starhawk in Squadrons. Well, I've already got the Nadiri Starhawk in my Armada collection. I've had it for like over six months, you know? That's right. Like, yeah. So I don't. It, th- it is the original MCU. Like, I'm not, I'll give them all the props in the world for that. But... Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, merchandising isn't just action figures. I mean, that is a huge part of it. But, you know, like we already touched on, like bed sheets and lunch boxes and Halloween costumes. And like if you really start digging into the amount of stuff that you can put a label on and now it's Star Wars. Spaceballs nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really did. Yeah. And they, they were sort of even, you know, like going back to the pop culture references, they to me, like being a huge fan, and something like that could have gone south. Like they could could have felt like they were making fun of me, 
and it yeah. never did. You know what I mean? Like I, I was, uh, I guess, self-aware enough to, to know like, you know, yeah, I, I buy a lot of toys, but I, I see what you're saying about the whole court. And I mean, I can't imagine if they remade Spaceballs today or did a sequel, like because of how corporate Disney is. Yeah. Was, uh, was there not a rumor that they were writing Spaceballs to the search for more money? <laughs> That's a direct line it's from possible. that movie. Is it? It is. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that yeah. too. It's uh, been a while. Mel Brooks. Nice. He's like, yeah. you know, we'll all return. Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Oh my God. They would they, make it. They did do an animated series though. Of Spaceballs. That's, they did. Yeah, yeah they, that's that's true. They did. Why am I so out of touch with this? Because nobody watched it. Oh, well. <laughs> It's so it's periphery. like the it's like the Bill and Ted cartoon and Could the Back be. to the Future cartoon that nobody watched. I watched that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one person watched. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around my room right now, my sort of my studio that I have, yeah. and I'm and I'm seeing like I've got a New Hope and well Star Wars and Empire glasses from Burger King. Oh wow! And I also have, and I'm looking at a Return of the Jedi pencil case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, I have a set of Rogue One 3D glasses from the um, theater. Yeah, from the theater. Yeah, oh, they're that's uh, cool. they're like stormtroopers. Oh, glasses. nice. Yeah, they yeah, look yeah. Like, I remember like Ray's uh, thing. Oh, cool. Uh, I have an R2D2 popcorn maker. Uh, <laughs> I have so much uh, Lego, um, just like, <laughs> novels and books, and and uh, I'm pretty com- sure all comics, comics just... lining my room. Yeah, like yeah, could just turn around and find something. Certainly, certainly. And it's so obscure. And I think I remember being a kid in the 70s and, and like Star Wars toys, like the action figures, yeah. to a lesser degree, the ships and the, and the play sets. But the action figures were in gas stations. They were in Canadian Tire. They yeah. were Shoppers Drug Mart. They were Kmart. They had inundated the market. Like you could not, you couldn't be a kid in the 70s and escape the fact that Star Wars was a giant. Yeah, for sure it was. And, I think and that now was, it's uh, sort of hard to even I think uh, was, shop in store for stuff. That was the good part of being like, right, a collector or wanting them or wanting to play with them as a kid, right? Because no matter where you went, you didn't have to go to it, right? There was no store exclusives. There was no, no right? The biggest thing I can remember is collecting backers to get my emperor and mailing oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And mailing and away. Mail aways. And going, if I have to buy five figures, maybe I should just buy five stormtroopers. Like I remember, I, and I, I had seventeen stormtroopers, like the original oh, wow. stormtrooper. I think I had and, one. And because there was thirty on the shelf, it wasn't like today, like where I, I have one Instagram post because I have eleven of the Rogue One three and three quarter inch stormtroopers, okay. and yeah. I posted a picture of all eleven, saying, "This is the reason your kids don't have stormtroopers." <laughs> nice. <laughs> So, but, but back then it didn't, you know, like you, you weren't not going to get the IG-88 because there was 15 on the shelf. That's right. And then they would re-release them when every movie came out. So there was like, you know, there's a, there's different carded versions of them for the deep collectors, but you weren't going to skip, you know, and the fact that they've gone with this sort of sports card model of creating exclusivity is, yeah. it's, I'm such an addict that I can't, I can't even stop, but it drives me mental. I have to be honest with you on that especially for me as a retailer. So I see it from both sides of the counter. It's like the frustration at Hasbro for what seems like underproducing, you know, figures that, you know, you know, they will sell. And I I don't understand why there's no, this is my opinion. And, and, you know, I could be completely off base here, but to my way of thinking, there is no reason why Hasbro cannot do every figure as a 
single carded case single. There's no reason to sell There'd assortments. There'd be no peg warmers anymore. There'd be no like reason <laughs> to sell assortments of figures because you could do your you could do your minimum production run, and if you don't sell out of that, then you don't produce anymore. It's if, just you know, the, the pitfalls of modern marketing, man. Like like we were saying with the the loot boxes in the video games, yeah. or you know, artificial scarcity because you can only get this one at Toys R Us. It and... creates a, uh, you know, it creates this frenzy in the collector community where everybody is scrambling to get. It kind of preys on, kind of us. preys on the the, wor- <laughs> the worst habits of of those of us who have, you know, those those collective compulsions. Wow. I I used to compulsively collect bottle caps. Sure. And now my bottle caps are. You know, video games or, right, or right, action right, right. figures or, or whatever it is. I look Just, at, you know, if you look at sort of what's going on right now, and uh, you know, on our other show, <laughs> we're gonna do an episode on uh, COVID hoarding. But you know, if you kind of relate to what's going on right now in the world and how people are just so disconnected, and you know, people who are able to go out and and shop, and it amazes me how many people are in the collector community who are going out to regular retail and they're buying everything off the shelf in one go specifically just to resell it at a ridiculous markup and i just i don't understand that it doesn't i bought i went to eb games uh a while ago and yeah. uh i went and uh i had pre-ordered a grievous sure uh the d1 when uh, the black series six inch yeah uh, what I'm referencing, and, great, great and they had four in store. Yeah, and I thought to myself, I'm going to look like a really bad guy here, and I'm going to buy all four. But sure. the reason I did it was so that I could give the opera because I knew that there was going to be some scarcity, yeah. and I did it so that the people in my like sort of circle in your circle could get one at retail because I knew I was going to move them without marking them up. So you're, you know what I mean? I do. I know exactly what you. I was mean. like rescuing them from being like from scalpers and they, and they went like 120 bucks on Amazon yeah. immediately yeah, yeah. You know? we're, we're seeing that now with Marvel Legends and Star Wars The Black Series and, and every other toy that's popular right now the G.I. Joe Classified Series the Masters of the Universe Origins those figures are barely hitting the shelf and they're on the Facebook Marketplace and Kijiji and eBay for triple the retail it's, it's crazy it is I think Hasbro has a bad habit of speculating the secondary market i don't know what they they have i don't know what they have to gain by that or as they re-release this stuff and i think that's where price creep happens that's always been my question too is what does the the origin company have to gain from a secondary market um it creates a like right because hasbro is wizards of the coast and and a little throwback again to magic right Um, by controlling the the scarcity or the rarity um, when they do these re-releases and if there's pent-up demand for them, then they can re-release them later at a higher price, in my opinion. So, I yeah, don't know no, if... It's true because, I mean, they're, the new figures are they're like, like moderately more expensive than they were like a few years ago. Yeah. There's like a new price point for like, ex, like Deluxe. better you know, yeah, figures. Yeah, for like, sure there is. And they're heading towards 40 bucks for a six-inch yeah, figure. Yeah, and yeah. that's... That's that's extreme. That's not a toy that's, anymore. Yeah. No. So yeah, as a uh, Transformer collector, like definitely noticed that when the, the Studio Series came out, because they were at a higher price point, and then when. But at least those like transformed. They do, but when you're talking about, you know, here, here's the thing, and I'm 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 going to get to this. I don't mean to talk about Transformers because that's going to be another episode too. But like, you're talking about the main line, 
now has matched the studio series price point and the scale because they 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 have uh scales which correspond to a price point so you have your uh legends class which are your little little guys that are like your three inch guys and then you have your deluxe which are your small guys your voyagers your medium-sized guys and your leaders who are your big guys and then they go up from there but there's less plastic there's more hollow parts and yeah they transform but i mean you're you're paying more for less and what we've noticed in this siege line is they're now taking figures that are in the voyager class which is the middle size one they're packing in, you know, a few extra accessories and they're putting them in the leader size box and selling them at the leader price point, which is yeah. like, you know, 70 bucks. So and my know. wife has been encouraging me to like to maybe go up with a with a higher scale of sort of action figure or uh, in terms of what I do with them. Yeah, uh, the, the Black Series six inch are perfect because I do a lot of field photography on my Instagram and stuff with them. I really enjoy it. And, you know, there are a few figures that are just, like, sort of shelf warmers that yeah. look good. And so, like, the, like the figure arts figures, but, like, who can afford them? But she, exactly. she's like, wouldn't it be nice to have, like, a non-sort, you know, they're still corporate, but not this, like, corporate demon selling you figures. If you could only afford one, like, beautiful Obi-Wan a year instead of, like, sure. my 200 friggin', you know, vintage collections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she's been, or even she's actually really interested in the... Uh, people that are modding figures and making customs. Oh yeah. 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 And uh, so she's, and I, I've dabbled in that a little too. And so she's really sort of trying to get me to break away from the corporate collecting structure. Well, um, I mean, arguably, you know, fans are doing some great work out there. I mean, you know, I, I curate a list of collector friendly links to uh, a lot of fan made 3d printed cast. And that's revolutionizing. Yeah, it totally is. You know, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think as far as merchandising goes, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, uh, it is part of the big machine that keeps the whole galaxy moving. And uh, I, for one, you know, I love it. I have a love hate with it, I guess is what I should be saying. I love what they're doing when it's something that I like and I hate what they're doing when it's something that I don't like or that I can't get. I'm steadily engaged. Like I was, I still, and I didn't have this, you know, we didn't have the internet when I was young, but my first thing, my daily routine is to, to sit on the toilet for a minute in the morning at like 5 a.m. and Google Star Wars news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like before COVID news, before world news, before seeing what Trump has done, it's like, what's going on in Star Wars? That's back, like how I like to start my day. Back in the 90s, and I don't even know if the website still exists, but um Back in the 90s, I used to visit theforce.net once a day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Googling yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if, if you have the stomach for it, there's always fanfiction.net. That's a new one for me. I generally don't engage in <laughs> fanfiction because, you know. Well, I, I mean, some of it like, I said, like I said on the last one. Still live, Rogue, Wes. Is it? Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah, Rogue, yeah, yeah. Rogue One is the greatest fanfiction story ever told. Yeah, I guess so. On some yeah, level, yeah, I like it is. the way you put that. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure it is. Complete with its Nissan merchandising tie-in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the uh, special edition. Yeah, the Rogue. Rogue. Yeah, I remember that. I nearly got a driver's license because of that. <laughs> you haven't driven? When's the last uh, time you not, held not license? In a while. Wow. No, not in a while actually. Not, not, not in a long time. 
Well, it's okay because you don't need a driver's license in the galaxy far, far away. So. No, it's a true story. <laughs> we can stick you in an X-Wing and it's no problem. Don't need a license for that. No, because you're mastered your T-34. Something, something, bullseyeing <laughs> lump rats. Well, gentlemen, any closing remarks that you guys want to make before we wrap this up? What's the average internal temperature of a Tauntaun? Lukewarm. Yes, sir. <laughs> but um bump nailed it. I'm ashamed of you all. I believe that's two for two for you, Andy. Maybe. It is. I think it you is. got, got what, the feeling of the Ewok. Recording, he got me on one. Yes. The Ewok, uh, inside out, or which side right. has the most the fur. furry yeah. side of the Ewok. The furry. <laughs> uh, nice. Well, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure exploring the galaxy far, far away with all of you and gushing on this uh, franchise that we all, you know, have a uh, at least a uh, mild fascination with, if that's. Uh, the, the best way to put it. <laughs> not bordering on a religious insanity. Yeah, well, fun. I got to tell you, you know, one last little side story for you. When I was uh, still in the military, you know that Jedi is a recognized religion in Canada. 100%. And, they actually uh, took that out. So, since when? You can't do it anymore as of, I think, two years ago. Boo. I'd like to see, if you can get a can for gen on that, I'd like to see that because we actually, <laughs> we had, we had students when I was still instructor at the medical school come through with Jedi on their dog tags. We, uh, we got, uh, we actually got approved to buy the really expensive, like two or $300 replica lightsabers. Yeah. Yeah. Through the military system because we justified it by saying, oh, it's for extremely low light ground guiding. <laughs> so we, we we got the approval for it and we framed the approval for him and put it, sure, put it on sure. the wall in the qm it's hilarious oh my god <laughs> there is an article about jedi census phenomenon from canada in 2000 yeah yeah for sure there is yeah. i don't know where the the numbers sit right now but i do recall at one point that you know the the news surrounding the the jedi church was that it was most prolific in canada and i thought well that's kind of cool yeah, yeah. They wouldn't let you put Sith, though. Well, it's not a recognized religion in Canada. Oh, geez, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I, they do have there are there are lightsaber battle schools everywhere. I, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some of them have even been uh, cease and desist for using the term either laser sword or lightsaber. Oh, but wow. they're still out there battling with their light sticks or whatever they've got. Sure, going on. sure. Beam and, blade. And it's kind of fitting that. Canadians have now made the first lightsaber yes. fully functioning. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, Hacksmith Industries out of Kitchener has produced a retractable uh, plasma cutter, essentially, that runs on propane and oxygen. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like the old uh, proto-saber, I guess we call it. Multicolored. <laughs> yeah, super cool. You add. They were adding uh, various salts to the the fuel stream to change the color, and they were able to get green, orange, red, blue, and amber. I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were able to get like a multitude of colors out of this thing, and it was it was pretty awesome. See, this is how you know we're living in the future. It used to be like, look at what Star Trek has given us, but now we're yeah. making Star Wars shit. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Bring me my twin ion engine. <laughs> yes. Ramjet technology, I think, is actually kind of where that's going. Oh, God, we need to stop. Okay. Well, listen, guys, <laughs> it has been a slice, and I've really enjoyed talking Star Wars with all of you. And I know that any one of these topics that we've lightly scratched over the last uh, two recording sessions 
we could have done an entire episode on any one of them. And in fact, at some point we'll probably come back and we will revisit some of these things in greater detail. But um, before we sign off, gentlemen, any shout outs you want to do, let people know what you're doing, where they can find you. Uh, not quite yet. I am sort of setting up a streaming setup, but it's not ready to go yet. Once it is, you'll hear about it. Awesome, Eric. What about you, Hank? Where can uh, Docking Bay 95 collectibles on most social media. Awesome. Well, that's it for me. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Thanks, sir. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's been a blast. I can't wait to do more of these. And we will absolutely do more of them in the future. Once again, gentlemen, thanks so much for talking Star Wars. And we'll catch you on the next episode. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. The Force will be with you. Always. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>